0: Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together.
1: Our reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a higher mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them the orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept that matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why did the the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then, it written, the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected. But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thanks, Matt. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning, and for those joining us online, welcome to you as well. Uh, My name is Wade, and I've just been helping out around here the last few months, and good to be back with you this weekend looking into the text uh, that Matt just read for us. We've been walking together through this gospel of Mark passage by passage, Week by week, which has been so good. But if you were to sit down and read the whole book in one sitting, you would find, it wouldn't take that long. You really could do it. I'd encourage you to do it. But you would find this story, this story known as the Transfiguration, right at the pinnacle of the narrative. It's like it's been building to this moment. And after this, fairly quickly, Jesus starts making his way to Jerusalem to face the suffering, the crucifixion, and the resurrection that will come. But right at this moment... In Mark 9, there's this build-up to this moment. So both actually and figuratively, you know, they go up a mountain on this. It's like reaching the pinnacle of the moment of Mark where the real questions of the book get answered. And this story that was just read for us is the clearest answer to a question that keeps getting posed right from when we entered into the Gospel of Mark when we began this series. And the question is, who really is this Jesus? Jesus. I mean, we kind of encounter him, we see him. I mean, who really is he? Who is it that the wind and the waves obey him? Who is it that can heal bodies and forgive sins and restore lives? Who is this that speaks with authority like we haven't heard anyone else speak? Who is this Jesus really? And these questions keep being asked and eventually there's this high point in Mark 9 where the definitive answer about the nature and character of Jesus is given. And so to look at the transfiguration, I want to invite us to just two things in the time we have together. One, we're going to see who Jesus is and then we're going to answer the question because it's sitting right in our text. How is it that we experience the real Jesus? There's your outline for the morning, who Jesus is and how do we really experience him in the fullness and the truth of who he is. So first, what does the transfiguration tell us about Jesus? Well, a whole bunch and I was talking with the team even last week, and it's like some texts are better handled in like a seminar than a a morning service, and so we can't deal with all of it, but there's so much here. We're going to skip through some things and just show what does the transfiguration teach us about Jesus, because we want to be Jesus-oriented people, and we want to be worshiping and following the right Jesus, and this is a revelation of Jesus and who he is. This helps us get our orientation right about who it is we're apprenticing under. So let's just start by looking at this. There's some really interesting imagery in this story. As Jesus takes three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, up this mountain. And all of the things that Matt just read about start to happen. We have this mountaintop. That's important. We have a brilliant brightness that's from Jesus. He's transfigured. He begins to shine. But there's this brilliant brightness. We see a cloud. We hear the voice of God And there is this over the entire text, the sense of glory. And that's really the word I want you to hang on to this morning. The sense of glory. Because We're going to get into what glory means. But with this mountaintop and the brilliant brightness and there's this cloud and there's this voice and there's this sense of majesty and glory. Does any of it sound familiar to any other story in the Bible? Well, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and you've ever read or heard about the Exodus in the Old Testament. You will find that all of these same things Happening on the Mount of Transfiguration happened during the Exodus. All of the same things are on display. Now the Exodus, maybe you've never read the Old Testament. Maybe you've only ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt. That's okay. You can get into it another time. But just briefly, the Exodus is the story of God liberating the children of Israel from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. And it's about their coming out to be a people with a land and a place And God is delivering them from this uh, Egyptian slavery. And one of the main features of this deliverance of of the slaves is the glory cloud. In the daytime among the people of Israel back in Exodus, the glory cloud took on the shape of like a column of smoke. At night, it transformed into like a pillar of fire. It's the glory cloud that as Pharaoh and his army begins to pursue the children of Israel. And they're blocked between the wilderness and the Red Sea. It's the glory cloud that comes between Pharaoh and the children of Israel. As the children of Israel then walk into the Sinai Peninsula and out into the wilderness. It's the cloud that descends on Sinai. As God interacts with Moses about how it's going to be a community oriented around God himself. And it's the cloud that covers Mount Sinai. It's Moses going up on a mountain and experiencing the cloud. And all of the same things are here in our text. There was brightness. There's the voice. There's the cloud. And there's the glory. So what was this glory cloud? And it doesn't just show up in Exodus. Throughout the scriptures, there's various points in times where the cloud is descending and ascending as this representation because the cloud was a sign, a representation of the majesty and greatness of God. And so, if you were to scan the scriptures and look for the cloud, it's always a sense of which we're being given a representation of the majesty and greatness of God. And so, what is the cloud doing here in Mark 9? Because for the first readers of the gospel, particularly a Jewish audience, if they're introduced to this story of Jesus back when he was first being lived out and and told, as soon as they hear about the cloud, they go, we know what that is. (laughs) We've heard this story before and here's Jesus reenacting some of the story of of the people of Israel, of his ancestors. And so what's this cloud doing here in Mark 9? Well, the answer is kind of amazing. You see, when you compare the cloud in the Exodus with the cloud on the mountain of transfiguration, there's one important difference. In Sinai, when you read in the Old Testament, there's always this descending of the cloud. A cloud comes down. It's a sense of this glory falling. What happens at the transfiguration? If you read it really carefully, in the story of the transfiguration, the cloud, the glory cloud doesn't come down. It comes out. It doesn't flash down from the sky. It's emanating from Jesus. Jesus is the source of it. And it begins with that brightness of that being transformed before the eyes of these terrified disciples. And absolutely they were frightened. It says you know, they were absolutely terrified in this moment with good reason. Because they're standing there with two people who are supposed to be long dead. And this cloud begins to emanate. A glory cloud emanates from Jesus. So what does this mean? We'll see the glory cloud in the Old Testament was a partial, remarkable, helpful representation of the glory of God. This story is telling us Jesus is the glory of God. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So you think of it this way If you're walking past a tree, right, and you look at it, how do you know the location, the height, and the shape of the tree? How is it that you behold something? Well, because the light from the tree is hitting your retina of your eye and it's giving you an exact representation of the shape and height. And location of the tree. You see it. You behold it. And the scripture says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's glory. Of his essence. It means this. When you look at Jesus. It's like the essence and presence of God hitting your retina. The retina of your soul. That he is the ultimate way to understand who God is. And what God is like. Because Jesus is God with us. That's what the story is saying. It's the answer to who Jesus is. Is Jesus another one of the prophets come along? Well, no. You see in the story, Peter's terrified, right? What does he try to do? There's Moses and Elijah. You have the law and the prophets represented in them. And you have Jesus and Peter. And I love this because this is kind of Peter's gospel, the gospel of Mark. It's kind of his story. And he still outs himself. He's like, yeah, I had no idea what to say. (laughs) I was just terrified and I'm babbling at the mouth. Because he's like, let's build three tabernacles, Let's build three dwellings. Kind of like three equal places. We'll have Moses, we'll have Elijah, we'll have Jesus. Kind of like the hall of faith here. And I mean, the three of us, Peter, James, John, we'll hang out too. Like, we'll we'll be on the mountain. I mean, there's kind of this equality in Peter's mind. And what happens? Well, Peter's bad idea gets exposed because the father speaks and says this. This is my son. Listen to him. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Moses was one who pointed people to God. Elijah was one who pointed people to God. King David gave us a sense, a way of looking at what God's character might be like. But when Jesus shows up, he's not just one, one in a long line of prophets and representatives. He's not just one more in the descending cloud. He is the emanating cloud. He is the glory of God. He is God among us. And so as you walk through Mark and people are it's really confused. They're like, is he Elijah? Uh, is he a prophet? Is he like Moses? Is he a miracle worker? This story forever says Jesus is not just one more in a long line of prophets or glory seekers. He is God among us. When you worship Jesus, you worship God. That's who Jesus is. And our life as a church, our life as apprentices, is rooted in the truth. That Jesus is not just one more in a long line of, but is the utterly unique God among us. Worthy of all worship and praise, Son of God. That's how the question gets answered in Mark. With this walk up the mountain. So, that's who he is. That's the truth of his nature and identity. So how do you experience this Jesus? I mean, it's one thing to hold with kind of cognitive assent that, okay, that's who Jesus is in this kind of theological framework. But like me, are you ever just hungry for more of an experience of the real Jesus? Well, here's what the scriptures tell us here in in Mark 9. We're told to experience the glory of Jesus personally. And I'm going to give you two things. How to experience the glory of Jesus personally and then experiencing the glory of Jesus in our identity. So what do I mean experiencing the glory of Jesus personally? Well, at the very beginning of the passage, verse 1, says that after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain. And that's significant because Mark is telling us you have to understand what kind of preceded in the week before the walk up the mountain and what just happened right before this. Well, what just happened is Jesus has said to Peter, "Uh, who do you say that I am? Remember that text? There's this conversation and Peter says, well, you know who everybody else says you are. Everybody else says you're like Elijah. You're like a great prophet. And Jesus dials in. He says, okay, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're not just another prophet. You're not just like Elijah. You are the one. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, right, absolutely. So then what's the transfiguration about? Notice this. Peter just confessed, you are the unique and most amazing, wonderful son of God, utterly. And yet here he is, six days later, trying to build a tabernacle of equality with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Here's what's interesting, very interesting. Peter has come to know something intellectually that he has yet to know experientially. It's like he gave the right answer on the quiz. He got an A on the Doctrine of Christ quiz. He gave the right answer. But it's not enough. See, something has to happen so that what he knows intellectually, he comes to know in the depth of his being and of his soul. So let me play true or false with you. You don't have to answer out loud. And For those online, you can say out loud things if you want. Um, Here's true or false. And Just kind of answer this with me. The Lord of the universe thought it was worth his while. He was so compelled by love to come into the world and endure infinite agony and loss to have a relationship with us. True or false? It's true. Just in case someone's about to yell false. Don't want to embarrass anyone. It's true. It's what he did. Next, because of what Jesus Christ has done, God himself thinks of you as an incredible treasure. True or false? True. And we say, well, true. So then, so why does criticism bother us? Why do we get so anxious? Why do we worry so much? Why are we addicted to perfectionism? Why do we always feel like we need to prove things to others? Why do we get so defensive and irritable? Why are we so often harsh with other people? You see, we know things intellectually. Yes, this is what God has done and this is what he says about me. And yet we walk experientially into our lives like it's not true. Because if we knew these things, not only intellectually, but experientially, none of those things about the harshness and the needing to defend ourselves and the pursuit of perfectionism, none of those things would be true of us. So what do we need? Well, we don't just need to believe Jesus is the unique Son of God. That is important. What we actually need is we need an experience of glory. And you say, well, what do you mean? Because glory is one of those words. It's a church word. We all throw it around and say it. But really, no one really knows what it means. <laughs> All the time, if you're saying, well, how would you define glory? A lot of times, it's a little confusing. So I want to tell you what it means. Because if there, we need an experience of glory, and you're like, you mean like have a vision? Well, I mean, vision would be helpful if they're coming to you, but it may not be what's going to happen. You see, the word glory, this, if you haven't heard anything else, just hear this. The word glory refers to weight. Like W E I G H T, weight or significance. The experience of glory is a is a weighty, it's a it's an experience, it's an experience of significance. And here's what it means: to experience glory means that whatever Jesus says becomes more weighty and more significant than what anyone else says. Glory is to prioritize and make preeminent the words, the intentions. Of Jesus himself. It's his love becoming more glorious to you than anything else. It's his worth that he places on you. It becomes more weighty than anything else. That what he speaks over you becomes more significant than any other word. That's the experience of glory. It means Jesus and his glory become more real to you than the criticisms of others. Friends, if you're like me, we know so much intellectually. That we don't know experientially. And we need this. We need an experience of glory. So, how does that happen? Well, I say it's something we ask for in prayer and in worship. As you worship and pray, it's not just thinking about things in general, it's about a heart seeking after God in community and individually to have Him shine His love in the light of your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. To Are you grasping what I'm saying? There's this pursuit in us. It's the seeking of glory. It's the seeking of the weightiness and the significance of God so that everything else that's said or done about us fades away and becomes secondary. You know what actually happened to Peter? It's this fascinating verse. In 2 Peter 1.18, so many years after the transfiguration, Peter is writing letters to churches. And in 2 Peter 1.18, he says this statement that goes... Essentially, I want to tell you, church, we're not just following made-up stories of people, clever stories about Jesus. He says, I remember the day I had an experience of glory on a mountaintop, and I was absolutely surrounded in majestic glory, and it changed everything about me. He starts talking about that as part of his testimony. I knew stuff about God. I knew stuff in the scriptures. Oh, but when I experienced glory, it changed everything. And Peter says, I I realized for myself this wasn't just some clever made up story because Jesus has become everything to me. See, when you've always known something intellectually, but it's not really affecting your life, it's, it's not comforting you, it's not changing you, it's not strengthening you, when you realize you don't live with the joy that you really could have, it means that the intellectual needs to move into an experience and we need this. And it's available. And I just wonder in this season of Stony Plain Alliance Church if one of the things that God is saying as I prayed for us this week I think Jesus is waiting for us to ask for an experience of his glory. Like to call out to him. To truly seek him. To ask for it in prayer and in worship and to move into that reality of glory. Where what Jesus says and what Jesus does holds all the weight and all the significance for our lives that's the first thing but we also experience the glory of Jesus in our identity notice when the glory cloud comes down there's a voice what does the voice say this is my son you know what happened before the last time there was this experience of glory the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus back at his baptism what did he say something very similar this is my son whom I love so let me tell you what it means to have the glory of God as an experience for you. You see, it's not just like, a, like having an abstract sense of power. To experience glory, it means like it's an assurance. You say, well, maybe that's just Jesus' thing and it's not for me. No, because Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit bears witness that with our spirit that we are children of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He reminds you that you are a son, that you are a daughter, and that that is the truest statement of your identity in Christ. And you may know intellectually, well, I'm a child of God, I'm a son or a daughter, but here's what we need. I think more than anything else in our lives, we need to hear experientially in the center of our being the voice of God saying, No matter what you've done, I love you. You are my son, you are my daughter. Jesus was enveloped in deep darkness so you could be enveloped perfectly in love and in my light and in my goodness. And God is saying into your identity, I want to assure you, because you're my daughter, because you're my son, that I want to assure you of my radical, permanent, unconditional, intimate love that is coming to you through Jesus Christ. And though everyone else may abandon you, everyone else may have all sorts of opinions about you, I will lift you up, God says. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, for you are mine and I have chosen you. You see, there's all these promises in the Bible and it has to move beyond something we see with our eyes and begin to take into our souls as the defining truth and motivation for everything we are and everything we do. We need to hear them as an experience of truth. Because when we do choose to live in the truth of our identity, there will be something solid in the center of our lives. Instead of always feeling empty. Instead of always feeling the need to prove something. Instead of always feeling unsure of ourselves. When we come to grasp as an experiential thing of glory that you are a daughter. That you are a son loved by a perfect father. Not the imperfect fathers and mothers here on earth, but the perfect father. Loving you as a son-daughter, choosing you, adopting you, bringing you into his family. You begin to have something solid in the center of your life. I mean, maybe you're like me. There's a lot of years where we walk through life and everything feels so fragmented. Like life feels like this minefield and we're not sure which step to take. And we walk out into the world, every single one of us, so radically insecure all the time. And we think that somehow by the changing of external circumstances, we can somehow make the inside solid. The truth of the gospel is this. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be constantly saved than that of Jesus Christ. He's actually redeeming us into our identity as daughters and sons of God. And what we need more than anything else is an experience of God's glory through Jesus. And this is how the glory of God works. It assures you first and foremost of who you really are that you are a son and you are a daughter this glory comes to you and it says you are my child in whom I'm well pleased you know for years in the church I've said it other people talk about it you know it's that idea that someday when I die (laughs) all I want to hear is the words of Jesus well done good and faithful servant have we heard that said that I just want to hear that someday well done good and faithful servant after we die well how about this folks what about tuning into what Jesus is saying now You don't have to wait for the affirmation of Jesus that somehow he's standing with arms crossed, waiting for some behavior modification so that someday he might speak a word of proudness and love over you, that he might speak delight over you. What he says in that moment of the well done good and faithful servant is what he's been saying to you since you chose to follow him as he's redeeming you. With every discipline, with every step of obedience, with every surrender. It's like, this is my daughter. I love her so much. I'm so pleased with you. You don't have to wait to hear the affirming words of the Father someday saying, well done. How about hearing the word right now that you are my loved son, you are my loved daughter in you. I am so pleased. I am so proud of you. Let me love you more. You can experience my glory. You can begin to grasp who I am and what I have done and it will lead you into a depth of insight and experience that you never even thought possible. How does that sound? I'm going to call our worship team up and they're going to lead us in some reflection. But as they come, I want to ask, um, you don't have to answer out loud. This is like an answer of the heart and the soul. I just wonder, it really was, as I prayed this week, it was like Jesus saying, I want to stir the appetite of stony plain lines. Stir the appetite to ask for an experience of glory. And that doesn't mean we have to like clench our fists and like, try really hard and squint our eyes to pray. I think it comes in the moments of, I don't know, I don't want to prescribe it too much, but like, what about this for a challenge? What if like once a day, between now and next Sunday, we just ask Jesus for an experience of his glory personally and in our community and in our identity. Maybe it's when you wake up, maybe you put it in your phone just as a reminder at noon, whatever it is. But what if this group here and those joining us online for the next seven days just said, Jesus, it's not that we need more knowledge. What we need is a deeper experience of glory. We need to hear that we're your daughters, that we're your sons, that you love us. We need an experience of glory to make solid in us what right now feels fragmented. And so I thought we could start today. And so just before the worship team leads us, I wonder if you'd pray with me. Let's do that. Because I wonder how many of us are ready to ask for this kind of experience of glory. The glory of Jesus personally as a community. And as sons and daughters of God, are you ready to have your appetite stirred for glory? To no longer be satisfied with a status quo apprenticeship, but something that is taking you deeper and deeper and deeper into security and assurance and depth and holiness. Experience of glory. And so over you, uh, Stony Plain Alliance, and with you I ask, because we need it here, we need it everywhere. Uh, Father, We long for a deeper experience of glory. We want to hear you say that we're your sons and daughters. We want to hear the delight in your voice that you already hold. You say, we're told in Ephesians that we're already seated with you in the heavenly realms. We're in your family. And so I pray in the days to come that even over this week, we're not going to tell you how to answer the prayer, Jesus. You're really good at answering the prayer through experiences, through insights, through conversations. But I pray that in the days to come, as each one who wants to, just even once a day for the next seven days, says Jesus, show us your glory. Give us an experience of glory and take all the stuff that we know in our heads and make it experientially true in our hearts and souls. That the testimony of faith coming out of this church in the days to come would be a testimony of glory, of the experiencing of the real Jesus of God with us. And Jesus, in your name, I pray against any spirit of fear that makes us scared to ask because we're not sure what your glory is going to do to us. I <laughs> might get a gift I don't want. I just And so against the fear, I speak the goodness of God. When we ask for glory, he doesn't bring punishment. (laughs) He brings love and affirmation and assurance. He's not out to get you. It's kindness that leads to repentance. It's kindness and goodness that leads us into depth. And so against the spirit of fear, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we renounce fear. Where there is less fear, there is greater love, and that's what we need. The lesser the fear, the greater the love. And so against fear we stand, we choose the way of love and the experience of glory as we ask. Thank you for being so faithful to us. May the testimony of the church be strong and enduring about the glory of God in the days to come. May I bless you, church, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at SPAConline.com. Grace and peace.